Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled Potassium Binders in Heart Failure, Who, When, and How, is provided by Medtelligence and is supported by an independent educational grant from V4 Pharma. Prior to beginning this activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. We as clinicians often struggle to optimize guideline-directed medical therapy, or as we know it as GDMT, in heart failure, which means that our patients are at increased risk for poor outcomes. Renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, or RAS as we know it, those inhibitor therapies are frequently lowered in response to episodes of hyperkalemia. But what if there were a better way to lower potassium levels so that our patients could still reach those target doses of RASI inhibitor. Welcome to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Ileana Pina, and joining me today is Dr. Patrick Rosignol from France. My good friend, Patrick, welcome to the program. Great to have you. Thank you very much, Ileana. My pleasure. So the use of potassium binders is a relatively new tool for cardiologists, but you are a nephrologist, my friend, and you've had more experience using them than any of us. Can you tell us which patients with heart failure may benefit from treatment with a potassium binder? Actually, Eliana, hyperkalemia is an inherent risk for patients on RAS inhibitor therapeutics. Hyperkalemia is especially prevalent in heart failure patients with comorbid conditions such as chronic kidney disease and diabetes, diabetic nephropathies. It is of most importance to appropriately monitor serum potassium in order to retreat the best benefits achieved consistently in major cardiovascular outcome trials, which repeatedly showed that RAS inhibitors reduce mortality rate in heart failure. It is also important to reach guideline recommended dosing of RAS inhibitor therapeutics since maximizing RASI therapy improve outcomes. However, there is a true dilemma here because the initial reaction is to lower RASI in response to hyperkalemia. And Swedish registry data showed that 47% of patients discontinued MRA after hyperkalemia and unfortunately treatment is not being reintroduced after a year or so and this may ultimately lead to heart failure worsening and these data were actually confirmed within the framework of the ESC heart failure registry gathering data for more than almost 10,000 patients with heart failure. So it is so important to monitor the potassium levels. That's something that we can't get away from, especially in patients when they start reaching that 4.5, 4.5, where clinicians start to get worried. So I have a patient case here, and it's a patient of ours from clinic, and I call it the zone of uncertainty because people are uncertain as to what to do. So this patient's potassium is now 4.9, and you knowing me, it's a heart failure patient. Does this patient meet that hyperkalemia threshold, and what would be the threshold to do some intervention? Well, Eliana, uh, uh, several definitions might be considered either in the U.S. or in Europe. Uh, if I consider the ESC guideline definitions, hyperkalemia was proposed to be defined as a mild hyperkalemia if between 5 and 5.5 millimoles per liter moderate hyperkalemia between 5.5 to 6 millimole per liter, severe hyperkalemia above 6 millimole per liter. Therefore, to answer your question, your patient did not reach 
the, the threshold to define hyperkalemia, which may trigger intervention. However, it, uh, I should mention that the U-shaped relationship between serum potassium and outcomes was repeatedly showed across epidemiological studies with a nadir of around 4.2 millimol per, per liter in heart failure patients. This means that patients with hypokalemia and patients with hyperkalemia ultimately experience uh, poor outcomes. So I like the way the European guidelines have outlined, um, you know, the mild, the moderate, and the severe, because I think, again, it gives clinicians a little bit of a guide as to what to do with the numbers. Managing the diet is also important. What do you do with the diet? Well, uh, diet recommendations are key uh, because we all know that uh, food con uh, may contain lots of potassium, but we also acknowledge that healthy food like fruits uh, uh, contain uh, potassium and we certainly don't want to deprive our patients. Too restrictive diet restriction may not be sustainable on the long run, which is a major limitation for uh, diet restrictions. Another possibility would be to consider loop diuretics up titration, but there, there are s some disadvantages in this approach. Uh, uh, indeed, uh, uh, up titration may lead to worsening renal function uh, due to dehydration, and this may also lead to uh, to uh, an overactivation of the renin angiotensis system, which we don't want uh, in our patients. Another possibility uh, might be a step down uh, dantritrate RACI which might be unfortunate on the long run since epidemiological studies repeatedly showed that those patients who do not reach target doses ultimately experience worse outcomes. That's, that's a great point. And, well, let's go back to our patient, Patrick. So the patient still is not at that level of five, but he's getting close. And I decided because there was some history about this, to start getting our pre-authorization, which you know, in the United States, we sometimes have to get pre-authorization to get a medication covered, even though it may be in our formulary, but this is for outpatient care. Um, and I worry that the potassium may go up and I'm not, I'm not ready for it. And I really hate to pull back the drugs. So at the next visit, the patient comes back. Now the potassium is 5.3. Now, what would you do with this patient? Is this the right time to give him the potassium binder? Yes, absolutely, Eliana, because uh, uh, now the patient uh, reached the threshold uh, of 5 millimol per liter, which was used across uh, clinical studies, uh, which ultimately led to the approval of uh, new potassium binders, patiomer and sodium zirconium cyclosilicate. I already discussed pros and cons uh, of other possibilities, such as uh, diet restrictions, which may deprive our patients from healthy food, but needs to be considered, obviously, uh, uh, as a short-term option, but on the long run, is, it is not sustainable, in my opinion. Loop diuretics, we certainly don't want to over-diurese uh, our patients. Diuresis, of course, is an option for end-stage kidney disease patients, but this was not your patient. So for those just joining us, this is CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Ileana Pina, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Patrick Rosignol 
from France, actually from Nancy, about potassium binders and heart failure. So we'll continue, Patrick. I think a lot of cardiologists are afraid of the ECG changes. That's what I was taught in school. You have to be careful with peaking T waves, and then the QRS starts to widen, and that can happen with elevated potassium, but it's actually very rare. I've only seen maybe a handful of patients in my entire career. So there are two potassium binders available in the United States and in Europe, and that's Petirimer and SZC, which we knew as Z9. I believe Petirimer is the only one available in Australia, although it may be different now. I gave him Petirimer because I had it on our formulary and I had already started using it, and SZC had not been approved at the time. Can you tell us about how these medications work? Because I think clinicians that are listening to us would like to know the mechanism of action. Well, for patumer, uh, this is a spherical non-approved polymer where calcium is exchanged for potassium in the colon. What about side effects? I should mention here that uh, hypomagnesemia might happen and should be uh, assessed. What about ZS9? It is a crystal lattice structure where sodium is exchanged for potassium. It begins working in small intestine and with majority of potassium bond within the colon, actually. The main side effects are edema and hypokalemia. So is the edema uh, related to dosing? Have you seen that in the literature? Yes, indeed. Uh, There is a dose-dependent increase in the edema rate, which, in my opinion, is not surprising since, as I mentioned, uh, uh, this uh, this drug is exchanging potassium versus sodium. So it's something that needs to be watched out for. For pterimer, I have found that the most common side effect is constipation. That's what the patients have complained about. So in practice, it takes maybe two to three days to get a really significant drop in the potassium. Is that what you have seen? Yes, indeed. This was uh, actually repeatedly shown across uh, trial, uh, and this led to get these drugs approved for the treatment of hyperkalemia, which is not emergent hyperkalemia. They, they are not approved to treat emergent hyperkalemia, only chronic management of hyperkalemia. And what about other medications? What do you tell them if they're asking you, can I take this with my other drugs? Well, uh, prescribing information notes that potassium binders should be taken two to three hours before or after other medications. And uh, this suggests taking binder at a time when not taking something else, such as in the middle of the day, if other medications are QD or BID. And importantly, Ileana, uh, specifically, patiomer can be taken with or without food. There is no difference, and this was demonstrated in a dedicated clinical trial. That That's a very important point because patients do want practical things uh, to around their medications. So I want to still point out that a healthy diet is really important, and we know that there, you know, fruits and vegetables are very healthy, and we want them to be on them, but they are high in potassium. However, my experience has been that when you start a binder, you may be able to loosen up the potassium restrictions and still educate the patients and be judicious about it. So as we wrap up, Patrick, what are some pearls 
that you would like to give our colleagues? Well, Eliana, the first one relates to uh, regular monitoring of serum potassium. We, we, we read in the literature that potassium and creatinine are unfortunately uh, rarely properly monitored after the initiation of RACI, uh, MRA specialties. On, uh, we recently published a survey where home monitoring was implemented in heart failure patients post-discharge on a number of significant hypokalemic or hyperkalemic episodes were identified, actually, which would have been overlooked uh, should potassium not be uh, monitored. Therefore, it is of paramount importance to monitor potassium and creatinine so that our patients may ultimately retrieve the best benefits of RACI. Another possibility is to use uh, uh, of course, potassium binders, but we discussed that already in order to maintain RACI in patients initially hyperkalemic. And uh, the last tip I, I wish I may share is uh, an online calculator, which is fully available, derived from the Ephesus cohort and validated using the Emphasis HF cohort. On entering potassium levels on MRA use in the calculator, along with other patient features, help raising awareness of the importance of monitoring on the effect on patient outcomes. In other words, uh, when you enter these uh, data, which are readily available, we see that those patients with um, uh, normal potassium, and we have seen that this may be reached by several tools, including potassium binders, and maintain on MRA experience better outcomes. Well, these tools are very important. I couldn't agree more with you. So as we wrap up here, we have some messages. First of all, do not stop the RACI therapies, if at all you can avoid it, because the patients can worsen, and then you don't know if it's a withdrawal of the drug or it's actually the disease getting worse. Do educate patients about their diet and foods that are high in potassium. Get some lists of foods and hand them to them in your office. We can give patients to those target doses with the use of potassium binders and the management of the diet. They go hand in hand. I want to thank Dr. Patrick Rosignol today for joining us and helping us better understand the role of potassium binders in the management of heart failure. Dear Elena, this was a pleasure. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Medtelligence and is supported by an independent educational grant from V4 Pharma. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash heart failure. Thank you for listening.